Gracious God, help me to help our youth wash the feet of others around the world, and especially here in California. So, my name is Tom Fergoso. I'm the youth minister here at St. John's Ross, and I took on a very ambitious task of taking our youth on a pilgrimage and not a mission trip this past summer. And I was very excited to do this, and you can tell by my youth's expressions, they were very excited to go with me, and they were very excited to preach not just today, but or at 10 a.m., but also at the 8 a.m. They were very gracious in their voluntoldness, and um, they, they are here to talk a little bit about this pilgrimage. And now, let me frame this for you. Um, instead of just doing a normal, uh, where we're going to go out and do a little bit of service, I decided that I would kick the bar up a little bit, and maybe too high, but I'm attempting to do a three-year arc of kind of a pilgrimage's exploration on racism that is based on a program from the Diocese of North Carolina. And um, as the first year of this, uh, you do your state's context of racism or places that have significance um, from many different racial perspectives. So this first year, we went to, uh, we got in a van and all of us fought over the radio station and the music, but then we finally got on the road and we're heading down and we saw Allensworth, which is outside of Bakersfield, which was a African-American utopia that flourished for a little bit and then went by the wayside. We then went to Manzanar, a Japanese internment camp on the other side of the Sierras. Uh, we then drove into Los Angeles and went to this wonderful nonprofit done by this upstanding Jesuit, Father Boyle, uh, Homeboys Industries, and I highly recommend Tattoos on the Heart if you haven't read it. And then we took them to the Museum of Tolerance, which was a museum dedicated to the factors that led up to the end result of the Holocaust and gas chambers. It was a Jewish museum put together in a very kind of theatrical way with a lot of multimedia, and it was a powerful experience. And my youth at this time were a bit fried, so we made sure to take them to Hermosa Beach and let them play and make sandcastles and not put on sunscreen. It was a, it was a very experiential uh, learning moment. Um, and the lifeguard came up and said, I've never seen somebody that burnt before. But I digress. Um, we finished by going to Cesar Chavez's memorial, which is in Delamo, which is in the mountains. And that was a particularly powerful experience for me. Um, I was quizzical about why was Cesar Chavez's memorial in the mountains instead of in the Central Valley. Uh, he worked with the farm workers, but he was up there and he bought this retreat center because he was in fear for his life. Um, at that time, several prominent leaders had been shot and killed, and so he decided to hide. And after a period of time, he finally said, if they're going to kill me, they're going to kill me. I'm going to continue to do work with my people. And in 2012, President Obama made it uh, a national monument. And the first person in charge was a the child of farm workers. And so it was a powerful story of kind of like seeing somebody who was a former naval vet come and advocate and create a world of change for uh, some of the farm workers. But you really don't want to hear me. 
So I'm going to invite some of our youth to come up and give a little bit of a perspective on some of the places that they've gone to. Why don't you guys come on in? Come on in. You want to hear this. Um, and they're going to talk about um, Homeboys Industries. They're going to talk about Manzanar. And they're going to talk about the Museum of Tolerance um, from their own perspectives. So I invite Natty to come up. Hi, my name is Nathaniel Sansone, and I went on the pilgrimage of California over the summer. The place that stuck with me the most over the pilgrimage was Homeboy Industries. Homeboy Industries was started in 1992 by Father Gregory Boyle. The purpose of it is to help gang members in the area to get a job along with providing them basic job skills. When we arrived, we were given a tour, and our tour guide's name was Omar. The first thing we noticed about him was that his arm was in a sling. He told us that when he was younger, he got shot seven times, which almost killed him. Omar told us that he had come to Homeboys and left four times before he finally stayed. The reason that he stayed was because he had a son that he wanted to grow up with a father. Later, on the tour of the inside of Homeboys, Omar showed us how there were classes about anger management and addiction. One of the biggest things that they provided was free gang tattoo removal Another thing that stuck with me was how good the food was and how nice the people were. This was important to me because it showed how much people have cared over the years about these people that are often forgotten. These were some of the ways the homeboy industry stuck out to me. I even bought a sweatshirt. <laughs> I learned that even if people may have done not so great things in the past, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are bad people. They deserve a chance to make a life for themselves and their family and to move on from their past. Good morning. My name is Carmen Detmer. Over the summer, I went as part of the St. John's Youth Group on the pilgrimage trip. The thing that stood out to me in particular was Manzanar, a Japanese concentration camp made during World War II. One of the first things that I noticed when we arrived in the middle of the desert was that there were giant mountains on either side of us, causing a feeling of claustrophobia. Once we got inside, we toured the museum. One of the things I noticed was the giant screen with thousands of names projected on it who had lived at Manzanar. We then watched a film where there were graphic depictions of the removal of Japanese from their homes. One scene that stood out had signs that read Japanese, that said, Japs, keep moving. This is a white man's neighborhood. We also had a tour guide who was unusually excited about the hot weather and the dust blown up at times because she wanted us to learn more about the pain and harsh conditions that the Japanese suffer during their time there. One of the glaring issues that I saw was the lack of privacy that the people had to deal with every second of their lives. For example, the meals were all communal. The people would line up for hours in front of buildings for food. The toilets were lined up with no form of privacy in between them. The barracks were cramped and there were a minimum of eight people to a space, about 20 by 20 feet. Sometimes they used blankets as walls for isolation. Another thing that stuck out was the living quarters of the white people in Manzanar compared to the Japanese barracks. The white people's houses were spacious and had beautiful gardens that the Japanese had to tend to. Every day, the Japanese had to deal with such unnecessary and cruel bias and racism. The old foundations of original buildings were there, and on one of them, you could see a little footprint. A child must have run across the cement before it dried. I took that as a sign of innocence and light in the midst of, in the midst of this relentless and cruel dystopia. This trip was really hard to cope with. All the places we visited were full of 
had filled past of insane violence and prejudice, and it was hard to absorb all the information and endure the emotional toll it took on us. D but despite that, I learned so much from this trip about past and current racism in California. I'm so grateful to everyone who helped make this trip happen. Thank you for this opportunity. Good morning. My name is Genevieve Davidson. I'd like to tell you about my summer pilgrimage with the youth group by sharing my experience at the Museum of Tolerance. At the museum, we learned about what happened in the Holocaust from various personal stories that were woven together. This was a slow buildup to the gut-wrenching end of some of the Jews. As a part of the education surrounding the experience, the docent showed us screens that showed news reports of hate in America. They had a new article almost every 10 minutes showing the latest hate crime in America. Another part of our tour was the special opportunity to listen to the experience of a Holocaust survivor who was 95 years old. His daughter was there as well. She told his story and he answered the questions. I remember thinking that this was probably one of the hardest stories I could have ever imagined being told. It was very moving and touching as well. Everyone from our group knew that the museum was going to be a lot to take in emotionally. There's one particular hard-hitting moment on the tour at the very end. We found ourselves walking through tunnels and then sitting in a replica of a gas chamber. This was a powerful staged moment that helped us understand a little of the terror that the Jews might have felt at that very moment. While sitting inside, I was emotional, I was shocked and overwhelmed. When we arrived back at the hotel, I was kind of a mess. I decided to call my dad and talk to him about what I had seen. I felt he might understand because he went to Holocaust museums in Europe. This conversation had a great moment of support given to me by my dad and he helped me get back on my feet. Through this conversation, I realized the chances, the chances that are handed to me are very special and I'm very grateful for them. Thank you so much for this opportunity to go on this trip. I also relearned that I cannot take things for granted and how lucky I am not only for St. John's to have given me and all of us this opportunity, but for everything my dad worked hard to provide me with. It inspired me to work to better things in life for myself, my friends, and my family, and to look at life with a whole new perspective. Thank you. We did really try on the sunscreen. Um, I, remember, <laughs> I remember a moment with a, a, a teenager running by and Tom trying to spray him down as he moved. But it was a wonderful trip and, um, and the experience reminded me of the text that we chose today from the prophet Isaiah, um, which starts with the people of Israel asking God why they don't seem to feel connected, why they don't seem um, to feel that God is hearing them and they're hearing from God. And they're asked if they should fast more, if they should sacrifice more. And the prophet responds, speaking for God, that the fast that God chooses is to loose the bonds of injustice. And that um, those who do this work will be rebuilders of ancient ruins, repairers of the breach, and restorers of streets to live in. And it's a reminder that the call to justice, the call to racial reconciliation, 
is, is grounded deeply in our call as Christians and is organically woven into the spiritual work that all of us were ordained to at our baptism. When we look at the political world today, it's easy um, to see a religious influence that's not positive, that, um, that seems divisive, that seems destructive. And this call to learn about our past in a way that's grounded in our identity as Christians to help these young people to integrate their faith and their call to serve others, their call to seek justice, the call to become repairers of the breach is a reminder to all of us that that is our call, to be an alternative to a world that isn't as loving as it should be, that isn't as kind, as accepting, as committed to the interests of others as it should be, and to instead commit ourselves more deeply to our mission as Christians. And I'm thankful to have had the opportunity to learn from these youth as they did that. Amen.